Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Bruce Royal continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Samson. And now, here's Bruce. Good morning. It's a pleasure to see you this morning. It's a pleasure to be able to see Thank you very much, Dave and Vicki, for lovely opening this morning. Let's just open our time in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you do bring us together. You give us the freedom to come in this way, to freedom to open your word and to be encouraged by it. And so may the Spirit speak through the words that are shared today. Maybe they be glorifying to you, Lord. And may they be encouraging to our heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, I've never played hockey before, but I feel like I'm in the penalty box here. <laughs> the life of Samson. Change agent. Take a moment and let your mind wander. The speaker doesn't often say that to people. You have permission to drift and to be distracted. But take a moment and think for yourself, about the character of Samson. He's a notable character. Most people have heard about him in in some way. What comes to your mind? Perhaps Marvel action hero. He seems to have all the necessary equipment for that job. But you may be thinking a little bit deeper. Did God use him? And how's that? Is he a character that I would emulate and hold up as an example? He seems to have some significant human weaknesses. And how does that fit into God's plans? He is a simple yet complex character. We might say that there are layers of human fabric and divine will interwoven into his character. Let's see if we can't unravel some of those layers and better understand the person and the life setting that Samson and how he was used by God. Make a mental note about your thoughts about Samson. Perhaps as we go through this, we might be on the, the same page, so to speak. To understand him, we need to do just a brief history lesson to get a better accurate picture of the setting that he came into. Israel had entered the promised land through the leadership of Joshua. They'd taken partial possession of the entire land that God had promised. Due to disobedience and their remained people in the land that would become this source of opposition to them. The book of Joshua ends with the nation taking this powerful stand for God, ready to experience all the blessing that this promised land had to offer. After settling in the land, though, the people lost their spiritual commitment and motivation to serve him. When Joshua and the elders died, it left what you might call a leadership vacuum, leaving them without this strong sense of central government Instead of enjoying the freedom and the prosperity of this, this promised land 
Israel entered into a, a dark period of their history. Simply stated, the rapid decline happened because of sin. No big surprise here. We've heard this from previous speakers talking about the books of Joshua. The first step away from God was both individual and as a nation. We see in Judges chapter 1 through verse chapter 2 that Israel refused to eliminate the, the enemy completely in the land. And this led to intermarriage and it also led to practicing idolatry we see in chapters 2 and 3 where everyone taken this attitude and it's mentioned in Joshua chapter 17 verse 6 it says this in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit can you imagine the lifestyle that we would have if you just took the approach I'll do exactly as I want and everyone doing the same thing. Before long, Israel had become captives. And it's, it's, it's amazing to think that God prophesied that Israel would take possession of this promised land. They would go into the wilderness for so long, only to cross the Jordan, go into the promised land with Joshua, take partial possession, and then through disobedience, end up that they themselves would become captives in their own promised land. It's amazing. And out of desperation, out of the this, they begged God to rescue them. In His grace, faithfulness, and loving kindness, God would raise up a judge to deliver the people. And for a time, there would be a period of peace. Then complacency and disobedience would set in and the cycle would repeat itself. The book of Judges spans some 325 years, and it takes six successive periods of, op of oppression. The subsequent deliverance of each one of these places, people, is represented by 12 characters. The topic for today is Samson, the life of Samson. He represented the sixth period of, of oppression and one of the last judges in the period there are some incredible names that preceded him. Names like Othniel and Ehud. And we've already heard about Deborah. And Dave shared about Gideon and Jephthah, just to name a few. We begin the account of Samson in Joshua or in Judges chapter 13. And Judges chapter 13, verse 1, describes the setting. And it says again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. Ringing the gong again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, had been heard numerous times before the last judge emerges. And we might ask ourselves, is this the end of this delivery and disobedience and captivity cycle. Well, let's find out. This introductory verse is intriguing. How was Israel brought into captivity? Was it the cunning 
of the military might and the Philistine army and the generals? No, it was the Lord himself who delivered his own people into enemy captivity for a period of 40 years. The Lord himself delivered the people into captivity. So we come upon the birth of Samson. The birth announcement was indeed special. Samson's mother was sterile, and until the angel brought her the following message. I don't have slides for you today. We're going to do it old school. So we're in our Bibles, chapter 13, book of Judges. I'm going to read verses 3 to 5. I'll read them nice and slow for you. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it you drink no wine or fermented drink, and you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Wow. The birth announcement has a similar ring to the announcement that Mary received concerning Jesus. Samson seems to be set apart from conception to be someone quite unique and special. Note the plan has already been established while Samson, even in his mother's womb, even in his mother's womb, the plan for Samson is already been established and communicated. It says he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Samson's dad, he was a great example of wisdom as well. When he heard the news of the birth of his son, he immediately reacted in this way. And we see it in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord. O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent us, the angel who brought this message of the birth, come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. His dad immediately recognized the need for God's wisdom imparted to him and his wife to accomplish their part in fulfilling God's plan. So simply he prayed. He prayed in a manner that's remarkably like Solomon, who was also challenged with this huge task and feeling very incapable. So he turns to God and he asks for wisdom. And what is the result of Manoah's prayer? We see that in verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. In Hebrew, the name Samson means son. S-U-N. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir. While he was in Menea between Zorah and Ethnel. I believe there is an obvious life lesson in Manoah's example here. A life lesson that it's so obvious that it eludes us. By simply acknowledging 
to God our weakness and our incapability. He hears this truthful, honest cry for help, and he comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing that that acknowledgement of help triggers God in coming in power. And that word power in the Greek, it has the idea, it's translated somewhat as called dudamis, which is the, the, the root word is used in the same word for dynamite. That it has that kind of power. And that power is triggered by us acknowledging to God, we're incapable. We don't have the, the skills, we don't have the capability to, to do, Lord, what you've called us to do. And so we cry out in help and prayer, and God responds. This application is not only for raising children. In this case, it was for Samson. But in adulthood, as we face life's continual challenges, and we realize that we're really quite poorly equipped to manage many of these things. We don't hear much about Samson's life as a child or even as his teenage life. And maybe that's a good thing. We don't know what happened. What we do know, the Lord was stirring him during that period. So it appears that he's all set, everything's set in motion during this early childhood for Samson to succeed in the plan that God set up for him. Samson, Samson enters the book as a young adult in what appears as an act of defiance. His choice for a wife, we pick up in chapter 14, verse 1, is a Philistine woman, a woman of the nation that's holding the Israelites captive. His parents are understandably concerned and see this marriage as the beginning of this cycle of disobedience to God. However, in Samson's case, there's a very interesting twist to this. We see that in chapter 14, verse 4. It says, His parents did not know that this marriage was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. We're reminded of the purpose of God's of, of Samson's life. He says, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. With God's purpose for Samson's life in mind, we see in chapter 14 this phrase repeated twice. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power. Again in verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is this scarlet thread that connects the workings of God throughout the life of Samson and also in our life. It's a scarlet thread of God's Spirit working and connecting us to God in the things that He's calling us to do. And the Spirit of God, through that thread, enables us to accomplish His will. 
This is a remarkably interesting situation that we have in view in the life of Samson here. On one hand, we're told that Samson is insisting on choosing this Philistine woman as his wife. This is in opposition to the wishes of his parents, and intermarriage with the people in the land had been a source of disobedience to God in the past. Knowing as well it was God's intention that the people in the land should be driven out completely. We see in Judges chapter 2, knowing that they, the Philistines, will become a snare to you if you do not eliminate these people. Introducing an intermarriage relationship with the Philistines would only exacerbate and enable this problem. But yet, and this is a huge yet, we're told here that God is working in the midst of Samson's choice to marry the Philistine woman. I note in the introduction of uh, this life of Samson that Samson is a simple yet complex character. We might say there is these layers of human fabric and God's will working in this interwoven type of way. This is an example of that. We observe that God is working out his plan even in the consequences of Samson's disobedience and poor choices. A demonstration here of the grace of God working in a flawed person. A demonstration of the grace of God working in flawed people. Just like us. Just like me. Perhaps just like you. No different. We need his grace as much as Samson needed his grace. So, this is a, a source of great encouragement to us as we at, at times find ourselves in these similar circumstances. And we, we capture this lesson that God doesn't abandon us, but often continues to use us in these consequences to teach us valuable lessons. Lessons that we wouldn't learn unless we somehow stumbled and fell. And as we get picked up by God, we learn lessons. We we're told there's an interesting event that happens in chapter 14, verse 8. Samson had previously killed a lion in verse 5 and discarded the carcass. Demonstration of this amazing strength that he had. We read in verses 8 and 9, sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion carcass. And in it was a swarm of bees and some honey, in which he scooped out with his hands, and he ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate too, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from a lion's carcass. This account is in, inserted into the story of Samson's marriage. And we may say, just read it in passing, and you think that's a cool little story. Yet, in the Bible, nothing is included 
for trivial reasons or because they're cool little stories. I believe there's something deeper here. The book of Judges, and the entire Bible for that, that matter, is a story about God's continual attempt to restore his people. He seeks to rescue them from slavery of being entrapped by sin and being caught up in this cycle. He desires to restore us to holy and pure relationship with him. The lion carcass represents death and decay and something that is repulsive, a stinky, rotten carcass. I don't know if you ever walk through the bush and you catch a whiff of something, you think, look down and you realize something's died there. Or perhaps even you open the refrigerator and you think, oh, something's died in here. It's unmistakable. It's just, what good could come from something like that? Yet, God produces something sweet and nourishing from within that carcass. Something nourishing that's pure and it's satisfying. Much like the way he takes us from that awful state of sinfulness and provides forgiveness and restoration. Inviting us into this sweet relationship that's represented by honey. Of course, this is pointing ultimately to the death of Jesus, who died on the cross, take our sins upon him on the cross, and provide redemption and reconciliation to him. All pointing forward to that, but realizing that that theme is all the way through the Bible. Everywhere you look, it's God bringing people to back to himself, restoring them. That thread that connects the working of God in the life of Samson is the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Even in acts of revenge because of Philistines killing his wife later, we read in chapter 15, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and continues to come upon him in power. However, the working of the Spirit changes in chapter 16, where Samson encounters Delilah. Delilah, a prostitute living in Gaza. Samson chooses to develop an intimate ongoing relationship with Delilah, a prostitute. Picturing an intimate, ongoing relationship with sin. A choice. An ongoing choice. Not a sinful act of sinfulness, but a relationship with sinfulness. This is an intimate union between Samson and a prostitute. Samson's life, at that point, begins to immediately spiral downward. In the midst of lies, in the midst of deception, in the midst of continuation of sin, until he's actually captured 
by the Philistines. Solomon, in his book of wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, warns us about this trap. Speaking specifically to youth in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, he says this in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. And then in Proverbs 2, verses 27 and 28, we're warned of the consequences of choosing and uniting ourselves in sinful, ongoing lifestyles. When calamity overtakes you, in verse 27, you are like a storm. When disaster sweeps over you, like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, in verse 28, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, and they will not find me. And this is the exact place that Samson found himself. He then discovers that when he attempts to break free, he's bound, he attempts to break free like he has in the past, that the bonds the Philistines have secured him with in 16 verse 20, he says, I'll go as before and shake myself free, but he did not realize that the Lord had left him. Samson's story concludes with him being made a mockery before the Philistine officials in this desperate condition. Being blind, in prison, he's brought out to be laughed at, to be made sport of. He's in a, a pathetic position. They've gouged his eyes out. He's made a slave. He's been imprisoned. And now the mighty Samson is being brought out for everyone in this massive party to have a great laugh at. And Samson at that point realizes his heirs that he has made in choosing sin rather than God and acknowledges the consequences that have occurred. And this theme is brought out in what David shared in Psalm 51, that God desires a contrite heart, not offerings or words, but a contrite heart. And so Samson is now brought to the place of ultimate humility, and his heart is contrite before God. And he says in this plea, in verse 28, he said, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. Remember when I was in the womb. Remember the pledge you made to me. Remember that I'm set apart to serve you. Remember that you had this great purpose and plan for me. I'm the same person that you brought into the world for this purpose. Remember, oh God, please strengthen me one more time and let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. He is still seeking revenge. Still seeking revenge after all that period of time. The Lord did restore his strength and he collapsed the pillar that supported the great structure and 3,000 Philistines along with himself were killed on that day. So in conclusion, 
has Samson fulfilled the plan and purpose that God set out for him? Chapter 13, verse 5, I'll repeat it. He was set apart from God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He will. And so when God says, you will, it's as though history is already written. It has happened. You will. And so we read in Hebrews about Samson. In this Hall of Fame book of all these characters that expressed and exhibited amazing faith. And so Samson is listed in there in verses 32 to 34. And it says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Samson is mentioned among the faithful who fulfilled God's plans. Mentioned in the same grouping as David. He shares a lot in common with David. We could do a study on just the things that David and Samson had in common. A life significantly used by God despite extremely poor choices that both of them had made. A further demonstration of the grace of God working in flawed people. And God seems to take delight in working in flawed people. And so what are the lessons we can take away from Samson? In conclusion, great strength in one area does not make up for great weaknesses in another area. God's presence does not overwhelm a person's will. We can have the Holy Spirit within us, and we can have a promise over our life, but if we choose, and if it's our will to go a different direction, God will allow us to go that direction. And God can use a person of faith despite his or her mistakes. Amazing. Amazing story of grace lived out in the life of Samson and perhaps reflected in the life that we lead today. Let's just close in prayer and I'll ask Dave and Becky Becky to come up and close our last hymn. Father, we do thank you for grace. We thank you this is the story of grace and this is the story of your wonderful provisions, your wonderful plan worked out. In the life of human people, in the life of people such as ourselves, Lord, we, we, we do marvel that you do have such patience and such willingness to work in the heart and the lives of people that obviously are quite flawed and make such obvious glaring errors, Lord. But we thank you for that grace. We thank you for that love. And may through that, Lord, May you teach us lessons. May you enable us, Lord, to live a life that is closer and more pleasing to you. A life, Lord, that is more free from errors and more filled with abundant worship 
and praise and glory and a sense of appreciation and gratitude, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. We do thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.